Hello and welcome to the Second Tier Podcast. I'm Ryan Dilks and I'm joined by the Barry White Justin to my COVID Justin. It's Justin Peach. Good day to you, Ryan. Justin, you have COVID. Yeah, test positive in the week. <laughs> um, if you have cold symptoms, don't go to games because I think I picked it up at the Derby game last week. Good times. Superb. Good, good to know that's all going well. Uh, you all right otherwise? Yeah, all things considered, I'm not bad. I didn't move from the sofa yesterday. Watched about eleven hours of football, so it could be worse. I'm quite just quite lucky. Like it's not weekend, really. Yeah, it does actually. Yeah, too right. <laughs> On the show today, making his second tier debut live from his car at a children's birthday party is Matt Brocklair from from the Fulham Focus podcast. Matt, how's the party? Is it rowdy? It's um, it's all right. It's not really started yet, um, so I'm not missing anything, thankfully. But yeah, good to be here, guys. Good. Well, it's good to have you here. Also on the show today is a second-tier veteran, the reliable holding midfielder of the team. It's Tom Morgan from Total Swans TV. <laughs> Tom, how are you? Yeah, very well. Thanks, guys. Yeah, very well. Stuff. As far as I'm aware, you're not at a party. Is your Sunday still rather rowdy? Um, it's a bit quiet, but uh, yeah, no party today. Just... Um, Trying to get some entertaining football in this afternoon. You need it after that game from last night. <laughs> <Yeah>. uh, well, <laughs> welcome to the number one championship-specific podcast, the second tier. Thank you for joining us wherever you are. We're in week two of the new season, and what a weekend it's been. Andrew Laycock on Twitter pointed out that no one's got a 100% record. What do you think about that, Justin, after two games? It's the championship. It's to be expected. Everyone can beat everyone. Could not put it better myself. Well, let's kick off this weekend by talking about an absolute spanking, a royal spanking up in Yorkshire. Fulham thumped Huddersfield 5-1. And Matt, from a neutral's perspective, this was a scarily good performance. As a fan, I imagine it was quite enjoyable. Absolutely, yes. And, you know, we haven't been away from home for, for so long and it was, it was a cracking away day. Um, early goal... And yeah, an absolute hammer. And even Harry Wilson got sent off with, I think, 15 minutes or so to go. Um, and under Scott Parker, um, in the last couple of years, what we would have tended to do is stick a couple of defenders on and try and see the game out. But uh, Marco Silva didn't do that. He's thrown on Caviero and Caviero's got a couple of goals. And, you know, to be down to 10 men and still really go for the jugular, it, it was impressive. And I'm, I'm the sort of person that would really try and play down our chances this season. But... I'm actually really excited. It makes me want to go to more away games. It makes me want to watch the team more because we've had a couple of boring seasons. Even the season we got promoted from the Championship last time, the football was boring. That was scintillating at times yesterday. Yeah, and it was nothing more scintillating than the first goal. It was a proper chef's kiss (laughs) moment. Butterfield goalkeeper Ryan Schofield passed the ball, makes a right hash of it and manages to clear it straight to Alexander Mitrovic, who scores but it's an interesting finish from him first off i absolutely love the idea that huddersfield fans have been waiting 18 months to see their team in the flesh and that happens after 10 minutes um but i would love nothing more than to spend a whole podcast talking about that goal but being in the stadium matt what was it like seeing that it's it's weird you couldn't really work out what had happened it's just all of a sudden the ball just looped up and went in the net but i've seen it again since and i know people are complaining saying well the ball was out and it was out you can see clearly that you know the the ball was behind the line but there's that that idiot defender who's passed it back to the goalkeeper from the halfway line awful back pass what are you doing mate and then the goalkeeper's made such a hash of it taking it down on his chest and then 
decided to pass it to Mitrovic, you know, one of the most potent finishers in the division anyway. Here you go, mate, have this one for free. And Mitro has been, last season, he wasn't on fire at all. It was, it was a bad season for him. Um, and that's reignited him. I'm sure he's going to go on to score over 20 goals this season again. He's a, he's a quality player, but that, that was really quite easy for him. And, you know, if Huddersfield are looking for anyone to blame, you can't blame the ref because the officials couldn't have seen that. There's no way they could have seen the ball was out from where they were because we couldn't see it from where we were. Um, blame your own players. They, they, they had an absolute shock of the pair of them that were involved in that. My notes this morning have mainly comprised of me watching that video over and over again <laughs> um, before looking at all the other games as well. Um, I wanted to ask you about Fabio Carvalho, 18-year-old attacking midfielder. We got on the score sheet yesterday. Um, you've got all these talented players in the Fulham squad. And it's interesting to see that Marco Silva's putting his faith in this young lad who mm. started both games so far. Tell us a bit more about him. Uh, yeah, he came up through the academy, um, broke into the first team. I think he played a, um, a Carabao Cup game last season. And then towards the end of the season, uh, he was he was back. He was actually in the team. Scott Parker started playing him. I think he made his debut at Chelsea away, scored at Southampton away. Um, and he's one of those players who we were talking on our show the other day and said, well, because we've got another youngster as well, Tyrese Francois, who, who started against Middlesbrough last week. Um, we're kind of saying they look really good, but we should use them sparingly. Uh, but he's scoring and you know if you're um if you're good enough then you're old enough and all that sort of thing and he looks like a real linchpin in the team at the moment and it's also interesting that Jean-Michel Serri played yesterday as well because he's been here for a couple of years and you know came actually three years ago we paid 30 million for him and as soon as we got relegated after the first shambles of a Premier League season he just went out on loan and then he went out on loan again last season and I kind of expected him to be sold but yesterday he was outstanding He's too good for this division, but if we can hang on to him beyond August, then you'll get, you're going to find that we're going to be very difficult to get off the ball because we've got Josh Onoma, we've got Seri, and Geeser if he stays, probably won't, but if he does, it's, it's impossible to get the ball off these guys. And with the pace that we've got on the wings as well, I, I think we're going to be a very difficult team to beat. And I'm not being arrogant, I'm just basing that on what I've seen this season. And I've, I've spent so long saying how bad Fulham have been in the last few years, but at the moment, it's, it's difficult to see I don't know, I'm not going to say it's difficult to see us getting beat, but um, we're definitely going to be involved in the mix this season at the top. Yeah, you, you don't sound arrogant at all because I, I think you're just speaking straight facts there. I don't mm. think anyone's going to dispute what you've just said. Mm. Um, Justin, I know we're only two games in, but from what I've seen of Huddersfield so far, they look a really poor side and not any better than the side we saw in the second half of last season. The hangover's there, isn't it, from last season? It's still it's still imprinted in this side. And um, I've got to feel for Schofield a little bit because as a young goalkeeper coming through, trying to play Corbrown ball is probably one of the more difficult things to do. Um, so him being thrust into that position is is a shame, really, because he's, he's a good goalkeeper, but not quite at the level to play that sort of football that Huddersfield are trying to do. Um, and as I say, I like Corbrown, but he needs to adjust his style of play because... Making those sorts of errors against a team like Fulham, as soon as Fulham smell blood, they're 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 gone. They will punish you, and there will be teams like that in the Championship this season that will do the same. Um, they look too easy to, to to score against. They were they were quite weak at times, um, quite placid, and yeah, it's just not not good enough at this point in the season. You've got to be putting the performances, and so far they haven't. Because even against Derby, they weren't great either. Mm. Yeah. 100% right. Saturday night, we saw Swansea against Sheffield United end 0-0 in what was a pretty atrocious game. Tom, with this game kicking off at 8 at night and it being 
rather drab. Were you at all questioning what you were doing with your Saturday night? Um, for a few moments of the game, yeah, probably. Um, but it was honestly, it was just so good to be back uh, at the football with fans back in attendance. Um, it sort of eased the pain of you know what happened in front of goal. I mean. The build-up play from the Swans uh, throughout the game was was lovely. Um, was, you can see what Russell Martin is trying to imprint on these players. Um, you know, we've talked about for years the Swansea way of, of playing football. You know, Martinez, Rogers, Loudrup sort of era, um, possession-based football, creating lovely chances, um, dominating games, but you know, not being so clinical in front of goal. Um, and that sort of you know shone through again last night. Um, you know, it's nice to see the, the good build-up playing football. Um, your midfield players getting involved in the ball rather than you know long balls over the top, uh, skipping the midfield. But yeah, it was it was it was a poor effort in front of goal. I think from from both teams last night. Yeah, oh, I thought it was a lot better than the Blackburn game on the opening day because that was a fairly yeah. poor performance at the back. But you can yeah. against Sheffield United side here, who, as we all know, with their striker options, are very threatening going forwards. I'll say that, Justin, but. Sheffield United, the only team in the Championship, haven't scored yet. And I know we're only two games in. doesn't mean much. But if you had to guess which side wouldn't have scored after just two games into the season, I imagine Sheffield United would have been one of the last sides you'd have guessed. Well, if you compare the riches of forwards that Sheffield United had, Sheffield United have compared to Swansea, it's, it's chalk and cheese. The amount of players Swansea, uh, Sheffield United have got going forwards... Yeah, it's it's a massive surprise that they, are, they haven't scored yet. But then again, when you think about how badly it went for them last season you know we spoke about Huddersfield having a hangover with the mistakes they're making I think Sheffield United have the same thing uh, creativity isn't there um, chance conversion isn't there they're not they're not doing what they what their squad possesses really and um, you kind of have just got a lot of work to to do to get it out of them I think they're a side that could struggle for a large period of the season before they before they really get going because as I say that hangover is there for everyone to see especially going forwards it's just not happening yeah, Tom, transfer window still open. Where does Swansea need to strengthen before it closes, or is it fairly obvious? I think it's it's quite obvious to see. Um, you know, we lost a lot of players last season. Um, we lost the experience in Andre Ayew. We obviously lost um, well all of our lone players that we'd <clears throat> brought in last season um, with a wealth of experience, sort of, you know, in in the squad because a lot of those lone players we had for two seasons. Um, the top end of the field is probably where we need to strengthen the most. Um, you know, we've got we've got our young local boy Liam Cullen playing up top. Uh, we brought in Joel Piero from um, the Eredivisie, but unfortunately, we don't really have the funds to be splashing uh, on an out and out goal scorer. Um, you know, someone who's going to grab you, you know, top end double figures this season. We're a little bit youth and um, very very young in defence as well with uh, Cabango. Um, Brandon Cooper playing last night as well, and Joel Latibodier. So our, our centre back uh, trio is very young. Obviously, we've got Ryan Bennett, but he was he was out after picking up a knock. Yeah, top end of the pitch and uh, and centre back positions. Tom, Matt, thank you for now. We'll come back to you both a bit later on. Play Simon Grayson's Hateful Eight. Right now, me and Justin are going to go around the grounds and we'll begin at the KCOM Stadium where QPR beat Hall 3-0. Rob Dickey amongst the goal scorers again. Joining us now from the QPR YouTube channel. Talking Rangers is Charlie Weiss and Mark Warburton's boys looking very good here, Charlie. QPR looked fantastic. 
fantastic. Three goals away from home. A convincing performance and, and very professional, to say the least. Um, great for Chris Willock to get a goal. Looking for him to bring more end product um, to his game this season. Uh, Lyndon Dykes as well, a fantastically worked set piece from the corner. That was straight off the training ground. Hold didn't have a chance. And then Rob Dickey, again, that man was absolutely phenomenal. That's three goals in the three games that he's played uh, this season. Um, the thing with QPR, we're creating so many chances, um, and especially Vili Asche, it was, it was really good to see him back. Um, how important He's just so important for us. But as well, we're just so convincing at the back. Our back three is rock solid. Rob Dickey, Jan Barbe and Jordi Device, it's just... They're just phenomenal. Um, real confidence in that QPR side now. And I think there's a real belief that we can we can do something special this year. Yeah, you mentioned that man there, Rob Dickey. We absolutely love him. I think that's been well established by now. As a QPR fan, you must really love him. I can't quite put into words QPR fans' feelings around that man at the moment. Um, you know, we've seen how well he's done going forward in these first three games. You know, he, he can play with both feet, he can play out from the back, his, his distribution is, is fantastic. But not only that, the way he reads the game, he, he steps, look at that Millwall game, he's cut straight through the Millwall midfield like a hot knife through butter and he's blasted it into the bottom corner. But, you know, we've seen how well he can do going forward, but it's not just that. He's the complete centre-half. He's fantastic in the air, his tackling is really good, he reads the game well and he anticipates. And... He's just too good for this level now. In my opinion, best centre-half in the league. And if Keeper don't go up this year, there's no doubt in my mind it will not be a Premier League player next year. Um, what a fantastic bit of business QPR did bringing him in because he's going from strength to strength. Yeah, I can't disagree with a lot of what you've just been saying there, Charlie. And just finally, a lot of people expecting this to be an exciting season for QPR. And so far, it looks as if it's been an exciting start. You know, four points from the opening two games. I think the Millwall one caught me a little bit by surprise. I think we're very slow to react with that one. Didn't really settle in the first 20 minutes. And of course, Millwall capitalised. But we came back and we got another goal back. And I think 1-1 opening game to Millwall was not a bad result. But um, kind of the bits that we were missing from that Millwall game was the intensity, sort of the domination in our play um, and sort of the free-flowing passages um, that, that were absent in that, which we really did see yesterday um pure domination i think the professionalism uh the, the way we managed that game was was spot on and uh we got the ball into like linen dykes a lot more and i think Iliache coming back was fantastic but you know you can only take so much from the first couple of games but qpr still have had some big players charlie austin wasn't even in the squad yesterday luke amos samfield they're both out at the moment so um like i say we're building a nice bit of momentum there's some good optimism but there's just belief in that qpr side um and it's just gonna be exciting to see how that flourishes across the course of the season Cheers, Charlie. Justin, Rob Dickey, Rob Dickey, Rob bloody Dickey. <laughs> Do we need to say anything else apart from that? Because he got on the score sheets, made an absolutely unbelievable goal line clearance, but he just seems to get better and better. He's just absolutely quality, isn't he? His all-round game is, is brilliant. I mean, we talk about him being a, a very good defender at this level, probably one of the best at this level, and then he pops up in, in goal-scoring positions like a, a poacher way beyond his years it's it's ridiculous how I mean it's ridiculous how he found himself in that position to score he scores from outside the box inside the box he defends incredibly well inside the box uh, yeah there's there's not enough words to describe just how highly we rate Rob Dickey on this podcast yeah and I'm worried we are going to become a <laughs> Rob Dickey podcast because we do talk him about him quite a lot but he's just so good 
he is absolutely unbelievable how how he keeps putting in these 10 out of 10 performances on a regular basis I remember just listening to what charlie was saying there yeah he says he reckons he's the best sent off in the division for his money it's hard to disagree considering how good he's been playing recently for QPR and how much he improves the whole defence as a whole. Yeah, as you say, defensively, he's brilliant. Um, the the contributions he made in, in the game against Hall were there for everybody to, everybody to see. And I think uh, during QPR's really poor run in the first half of last season, he was one of the standout players. And as, as, we, as we've said before, QPR were really poor defensively, but he was still putting in these top top performances and he and he, he got better and better as QPR have improved as well which is is great for him and um, it, it's great for QPR as well because not only do they have a player on their hands who makes them a very good team but they've also got a player on their hands who could easily go for 15-20 million pounds at some point mm. um, which QPR fans won't like but it's this is what it's all about in the championship if you're not a top top club yeah well I'm loving his goal-scoring exploits as well as his incredible defending. Rob Dickey, top goal-scorer, championship season 2021-2022. You heard it here first, ladies and gentlemen. Um, yeah, QPR really good here. They've done nothing so far to show that they won't be the side we were all hoping to see this season. Despite the clean sheet, they had a couple of hiccups at the back, but still very good value for the win. So Mark Warburton will be very happy with the performance here. For Hull... Quite the come down from the opening day, wasn't it? Beating Preston 4 1 um, last week and now losing 3 0 at home to QPR here. To be honest, I didn't think they were actually that bad though, and the result probably doesn't do the game justice. Yeah, you're spot on. I think Hull were probably good value for a point here at the very least. They had chances to to get back into the game. Um, I think there were key moments in this in this uh, in this game that swung in QPR's favour. I think um, Sonny Dieng made an unbelievable save just on the hour mark of his I think it was his left leg or it might have been a palm probably one of the best saves you'll see this season and there's Rob Dickey's goal line clearance which was again a brilliant piece of defending um, and at that point the game starts to swing going down to 10 men when they're 2-0 down but Hull had chances but I think the difference here was the quality in finishing and, and the clinical um, the, cl- the clinicalness uh, displayed for QPR they, 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 they were the more clinical side compared to Hall yeah clinicalness new word on the second tier right yeah uh, yeah. Lewis Potter missed a really good chance and that was quite early on so that could have swung things in their favour had that gone in but I think Grant McCann will take encouragement from the performance despite it obviously being a poor result uh, Preston just one of two teams still without a point this season. They lost 2-1 away at Reading. John Swift getting on the score sheet again. Jimmy Atkinson's from the Preston podcast from the Finney. Jimmy, how did Preston look here? Yeah, in terms of Northern yesterday, lads, it wasn't good. Um, we thought that Northern defensively would be decent because um, we thought that's where they'd strengthened pretty well in the window uh, but these first two league games we've looked all over the place and you've seen that with the two goals conceded yesterday the first goal Jordan Storvey's missed his tackle Andrew Hughes has had the opportunity to intercept at the back post and next minute the ball's in the back of the net and it was all downhill from there to be honest you know we've equalised through a handball decision which is the right call by the referee but I never thought we were going to win the game uh, there's just something there yesterday that you just thought we'll take a point all day long but I couldn't see us winning it and then Next minute, the man who always seems to hurt us and John Swift decides to put the ball in the back of the net and through a good bit of play. But, you know, I didn't think Reading had to work hard to earn that victory yesterday, which is the most concerning thing. 
Yeah, how much frustration is there at Preston at the moment? Because I had a look at the replies to the full-time tweet yesterday and it's just constant Risdale out all the way down. Does that pretty much sum up how Preston fans are feeling at the moment? I think the big thing is is that Peter Ridsdale is getting the brunt of the frustration at the moment, but for me it's not all his fault. I use the term collective responsibility and I think you've got to look at the owner in Trevor Emmons, you've got to look at Peter Ridsdale as director of football or advisor to the owner, whatever he wants to be called these days. You've got to look at the manager, but you've also got to look at the players. You know, Everyone's got to take their share of responsibility. I think the squad is short of quality. And I thought it for a while and we got away with it last year in the, in the honeymoon period under Frankie. But now when I suppose the chickens have come home to roost in, in essence, we, we don't look good enough. And it's a real concern, especially with just over two weeks left of the window. Yes, Peter Riddell is going to get a bunch of frustration because he's the, I suppose, the figurehead of the club. He's the face that everybody sees. But if we're just going to say it's just Peter Riddell's fault, I think we need to look at the bigger picture in all honesty. And I spoke to you at the start of the season, Jimmy, when we did the five-minute previews, and you weren't too optimistic about Preston's chances this season. How realistic is it that Preston could go down? I think it's a real possibility, and that pains me to say it. We are in a pickle, and we're in a situation where over the next seven days, we've got two six-pointers, and we're less than three weeks into the season. And, you know, you look at our next two games, Huddersfield away, Peterborough at home, You've got to take six points from those games because otherwise we are going to be in a situation where come four games into the season we could have a maximum of three points if we win one of those games. We could have zero after four games after playing you know, two promoted sides. A team that are all over the place in Reading financially and then Huddersfield are one of the favourites to go down. I think unless we have a positive two weeks on the transfer window we could quite easily be in a situation where come October, November, we're changing manager again and we're back to square one, but at that point we've got a squad that's littered with quite average players at this level and where do we go? What do we do? Because you know it's quite openly known that we've not got a great abundance of transfer money available, so who do we get on a pittance? And I don't think there's that many players out there that could come to North End at the minute and make a massive difference. We're going to be looking at loans more than likely from the Premier League. But then you're looking at guys that want to prove themselves. And would you want to come to a team that's rock bottom of the championship? You know, after four or five games? I wouldn't, if you're a 19, 20-year-old. Thank you, Jimmy. Yeah, not a, a great performance or result from a Preston perspective here, was it, Justin? No, it's it's really disappointing and they're they're showing the same problems they've had for a while. Um, I've got to feel sorry for the the, the press and supporters because I think they've been let down really. Uh, Not by managers, but mainly by the board. (coughs) We've said for a long time that Preston have needed a 20-goal-a-season striker. Um, I tweeted not too long ago about the players that they they could have signed if they'd have just forked out the money a little bit. Um, The likes of Jamal Lowe, Kiefer Moore popped up on Preston's radar, but they didn't go that step further with the, with the, the bidding process. They obviously lost Tyrese Dolan. Um, yeah, the, I think the ownership has allowed the squad to go stale, which I've said before that there's a lot of players here that are at the wrong end of their peak years and it's starting to show. They sacked Alex Neal, who for my money is their best manager, They or the, the manager who's more likely, most likely to get them into the, the playoffs since Billy Davis. And um, yeah, I've got to feel, feel for the present supporters and Frankie McAvoy because I think he's been dealt a, a dub hand as well. Well, you say that, but you look at the players they got up front. They're playing Emil Rees Jakobsen and Scott Sinclair up front here. 
And that's just, quite frankly, not good enough, is it? <laughs> For a championship side hoping to stay up this season. And I, I am a bit worried about Preston, mainly for the reasons that you say. You look at the squad and you, you've got some decent players in there, the likes of Ben Whiteman, for example, Ryan Ledson, players that we rate quite highly. But then you look at other areas of the team and it's very, very bang average and there isn't a clear replacement there. So unless they bring players in, then I will be worried about Preston this season, particularly up front, because they cannot continue with the striker options they've got at the moment. It's just not good yeah. enough. And you're quite right, they have been let down by poor recruitment, really. But for Reading, yeah, let's give them a bit of credit, shall we? They've had a very good start, considering some people were worried about them potentially being in a relegation battle this season. Yeah, the, the defeat to Stoke City on the opening day was, was disappointing, but they showed a lot of positives. I, I think they managed to correct some of the wrongs in that game, in this game against Preston. Obviously, against Stoke, they were quite open at times, where I think against Preston, they, they managed to close them off quite well. Um, but as I say, yeah, it has been a rough week for Reading defensively, but they've as they, they solved that in this game uh, here and you, you see the likes of John Swift and Lucas Shaw linking up quite nicely Josh Laurent was back to his best um, other than the penalty Preston didn't really have much going going forward for them and that's down to Reading's game plan and, and, and strategy throughout the game that um, yeah that got them the three points it was, it was a good performance from Reading and something for them to build on yeah, Swift getting on the score sheet again. He's getting a bit of a... Usually you look for, look at him to provide the goals, not score the goals. So if he keeps continuing, I don't think any Reading fan will be uh, too disheartened by that, of course. Uh, but yeah, Reading looking good value for this win here. Let's see if that continues. Hopefully it does. Uh, alongside Preston, Forrester, the other side, which are pointless after two games. They lost 2-1 to Bournemouth. Rich Ferraro is from 1865, the Nottingham Forest podcast. Rich, how did Forrest look on Saturday? There's lots of discontent amongst Forest supporters, mainly aimed at the manager. Um, it's not all as bad as you'd think. So far this season, Forest have shown intentions of playing a little bit higher up the pitch than they did last season when it was very, very staid. But of course, when you're playing against 10 men with half an hour to go, you'd expect the team to go for it and throw the kitchen sink at Bournemouth to try and get back in the match. And and they just didn't. And the reason that the fans are so upset with the manager is because they felt that there could have been more attacking substitutions made and made earlier so for example when they brought on Alex Mighton and Lewis Graben they're making like for like substitutions rather than adding extra attacking intent and it's a you can understand the the upset at the manager for, for doing that and the fact that the feeling that he's being too conservative yeah and I know we're only two games into the season and we won't get too carried away but two straight losses no points on the board so far is Chris Hewton under a bit of pressure I think he is from some of the fans. Of course, social media is never the best place to find out because you get a very, very vocal element and then there's um, a lot of other people who whose voices aren't necessarily heard. But yeah, there's a lot of discontent. Certainly, our man who filed his match report for our podcast, he decided to wait 12 hours before uh, filing his match report just because he wanted to have a bit of time to calm down. Uh, from the club, I don't know. They make the noises about being patient with the manager, but we've heard that before. And with the new chief executive, whose teams, you know, at Barnsley, they did play um, a slightly more uh, direct and slightly more pressing style of football. And that's not the Hewton way. So, you know, it's anyone's guess, really. Yeah, and finally, Rich, let's talk about the squads because the transfer window is still open. 
What do Forest need to do in that time to improve? I'm looking at that defence and it looks a bit thin on the ground. Well, we're not the only club down to the bare bones in certain positions. Obviously, when you've got Joe Worrell and Loic and Beso both that injured, that's fifteen million pounds worth of talent that's uh, that's not available uh, at centre half. Uh, full back positions, we've just signed Jordi Osei Tutu. Um, Jordan Gabriel's been given a chance against Coventry; he was good. Against Bournemouth, he wasn't. But I mean. It's to do with the balance of the team. And at the moment, we've got the two sitting midfielders who aren't quite doing enough to protect their defence, particularly in the fullback areas. Um, Lyle Taylor's had a good start to the season playing as a number nine, but uh, Lewis Graben comes on. And uh, like many Forest fans, I've got my doubts about Graben. Has he had one injury too many? Is he a year too old? So the big hope, of course, is that James Garner will, will sign again on loan and maybe provide a bit of a dynamic element in the middle of the park because that's where we're very static. Thank you, Rich. Yeah, I was watching this match, Justin, and the commentator was saying it's Chris Hewton's first game in front of Forest fans. And while I knew this was the case, it just seemed mental that it actually is the case. But I gave a few chances here, really. Great atmosphere at the city ground and from a Forest perspective, it's disappointing that they couldn't match the great atmosphere with a great result. Yeah, it is disappointing. I saw a video of the uh, the Mull of Kintyre belting out before the game, and it was yeah, it was uh, spine tingling stuff. It's a uh, a really good place to go with a with a great atmosphere, and obviously with fans being back in the ground, it's um, it's better for them. But yeah, as you, as you say, it's a shame that they couldn't back it with a with a result. But it was a really frustrating afternoon for Forest. They didn't really lay a glove on Bournemouth after Bournemouth went down to ten men, which is disappointing. Um, they had opportunities to to bring players into the game, or Hewitt had opportunities to bring players into the game to change it quickly. But I think he left it too late. I think there were the the obvious bright sparks were the likes of Zinchenko, who looked quite creative, which we expect. Um, but other than set pieces, they couldn't really see a way of Forest getting back into the game. Mm, it was timid. A very timid yeah. performance from Forrest, not really offering much going forward, and that is a concern. And they're very thin on the ground at the back as well, and that's one area that they definitely need to strengthen before the transfer window closes. But yeah, it's a, it, it's just a disappointing performance, really. I look at Preston, and I'm worried about them, but for Forrest, it's just disappointing. And I expect things to improve. Um, do you think Bryce Samba should have done better with the goal, by the way, the billing goal? Because it's a narrow angle and he's just, I don't know, I don't care what standard of football you're playing at. If you're a goalkeeper and you let that in, that is poor. Yeah, near near post, uh, if you let a goal in at your near post, it's criminal. It's, it's borderline criminal. Uh, you know, you expect to go down for it, don't you? Let's be honest. Mm. Near post, it's it's not good enough. And, and Samba knows that. And I think the thing is, the difference here for Forrest and Samba is there's a ready-made replacement if Samba's form doesn't improve in, in Ovaf. So... He's got to do better because he's got uh, an experienced goalkeeper breathing down his neck to to get that number one spot. Yeah, he's um, he's certainly not the same goalkeeper that we saw in his first season, is he? Still, obviously, a good keeper. At this I really level, like but him, it, but he's not the same keeper as he was. Unbelievable in his first season, but his form is not as good as the keeper that we saw there. Yeah, I I, I hear what he's saying, but I I don't think I think some sometimes it's sort of. Um, emphasised a bit too much about his form because Forrest for me over the past season especially while defensively they've been good in terms of numbers not conceding too many goals I think they have been a little bit weaker than they have been under that Lamouche season um, but I think he's I still think he's a very 
very good goal, goalkeeper and a, a top top goalkeeper at this level I don't think you can rule him out after one mistake he'll bounce back he's made more than one mistake I could <laughs> um, Bournemouth good result for them uh, David Brooks was sent off um, that's good news for anyone who's coming up against <laughs> Bournemouth soon I think they've got Birmingham in midweek so Lee Bowyer will be uh, very happy about that Bournemouth had an average age of 23 in their team here they had a number of young lads playing in this team and you don't really associate Bournemouth as a side that brings through young players. You, you see them buying young players from other teams, mm-hmm. but you don't see them producing their own talent. So it makes a nice change to see them producing young players for once. Yeah, it's really good to see, isn't it? You know, they've, they've bought the likes of Jordan Ibe in the past and um, Dominic Solanke, where they've spent big. I know Solanke is still there, but they spent big on on younger players. So, yeah, as you say, it's a really nice change for them to bring in through players of their own. Um, and I thought they were brilliant here as well. As you say, the average age of 23 is, um, is pretty crazy because it wasn't that long ago they had the likes of Simon Francis and Charlie Daniels still knocking around. Um, so it's been a, it's been a, actually a massive change for, for Bournemouth over the last... 12 to 18 months um, but the likes of Jaden Anthony he got the assist for the billing goal really really intelligent play Kilkenny dominated the midfield and Zamora showed good form and then Rossi slotted in at centre back quite nicely against an experienced forward in, in, in Lyle Taylor an, ex- an experienced team as well in, in Forest so yeah you've got to you've got to pull your hat off to, to Bournemouth and, and Scott Parker for getting the most out of a, a threadbare squad you look at Jaden Anthony and obviously we were concerned about them losing Dan Juma and we all knew he had big shoes to fill in uh, replacing Dan Juma but so mm. far he's been really really good really promising so I'm looking forward to seeing what he can do over the next few weeks and whether he can sustain this uh, decent start that he's had because at the moment he looks a really really good talent only uh, only 21 years old but yeah, he's been one of the bright sparks so far this season. Uh, let's go to the Riverside Stadium, Justin, because Middlesbrough have had a good start to the season. They drew away at Fulham on the opening day and have now beat Bristol City 2-1. Johnny Bullock is from the Borough Breakdown podcast. And Johnny, this looked a very solid performance from your boys. Yeah, it absolutely was. It was a solid win, solid performance, good three points. And it really put down our marker for the season. I thought there were some good individual performances like Uche Akpiezu, Matt Crooks, Isaiah Jones, Jed Spence. It was some. It was a really good display from Borough, and hopefully we can add to that against QPR on Wednesday. Well, one of the lads I wanted to ask you about was someone you just mentioned there, Isaiah Jones. Someone who I will be honest has completely passed me by. I know not much about him at all, but from the two games that I've seen so far, he's looked a really promising player. <laughs> So, not many Borough fans really did, to be honest. Um, so, Isaiah came from Tilting and Mitchum uh, in, in the non-league with Sam Falaren a se- um, couple of seasons ago. Uh, Isaiah went out on loan at the back end of last year to Queen of the South and really set up the, set up the league in, in, in Scotland. And for him to come in this year, I, appreciate, I don't think anyone was expecting him to play a part in Borough season this year. But with the likes of Balassi, Nathan Mendes, Lanka, Barno, Johnson, Watmore being out to uh, Tav not playing, obviously with the players I mentioned there, I've also left. Um, he, he's kind of found himself in 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 the team, and and to be fair, he's took his chance. He's he's direct. He's raw. He's rash. He he, he likes to take his man on. It's it's a night. It's a breath of fresh air for Borough fans, really, because we haven't really seen much of it over the last couple of seasons. Yeah, another player I want to ask you about was the Argentine wonder kid, Martin Piero, who signed in the summer. Um, didn't play much yesterday, but while I've got you here, I just wanted to ask you how he's looked so far in a Borussia shirt. 
I think it's too early to say. To be honest, Ryan, I think when when you've watched him against Blackpool and then again yesterday, you can see that there's talent there. You can really see it. You know, there's an arrogance and there's a confidence and swagger about him in his style of play. But I think for now, I think it's it's too early. He's still settling in. He hasn't really got to grips of our tactics and our style of play just yet. But there is a player in there. I think it's going to take time. I think probably the middle of the season is where you'll see probably the best of Martin Pichero and hopefully he really does kick on. But like I said, there's real talent there. I think it's going to be a good coup, a good sign for us. And hopefully, hopefully, he, he, he gives us a bit more quality going forward as well. But saying that, Matt Crooks was excellent yesterday. Uchik Piers, who played his part, Isaiah Jones, Tav, Watmore. You know, there's good, there's some good attacking players in there now. Um, so hopefully we can we can continue to build on that. But in terms of Pajero, I think it's just a bit too early to do, to really give a judgment. But there is something there. You can definitely see it. Yeah, and Johnny, we had Middlesbrough to finish around the playoffs in our pre-season predictions. Um, how about you? Have your expectations changed after these first two games? No, <laughs> uh, no, nah, nah, my opinion hasn't changed at all. I think when we spoke previously, I did say 7th to 10th, um, but I really love yours and, and Justin's optimism for potential playoff places. Um, but I think we just need a bit more quality, to be honest. Um, I think we need two or three or, or even four more players to, to add to this squad and to keep us and, and to prolong us for the re- rest of the season, to be honest. I think the initial start of the season, I, I think 100% think we're going to be up in and around those uh, places. You know, I get a bit of excitement for Borough, but I just think we need to keep adding to it. If we keep adding to it keep them and get some momentum behind us, you've got the manager there in Neil Warnock who's done it time and time again. That's when the confidence starts to build. But I think right now, I'm going to go 7th and 10th, just waiting for three or four more signings. And I think then uh, I'll come back to you in a few weeks with probably a different prediction from there. Cheers, Johnny. Yeah, Borough look very comfortable here, didn't they, Justin? They were actually very good value for the win here, weren't they? Yeah, they were. I guess the disappointing thing is the defending for the for the goal, really, that allowed Bristol City back into the game, leaving Andy King unmarked is, is criminal, and I'm sure Neil Warnock could be very disappointed with it. But as you say, they were good value for the win, and um, you've got to lay a lot of praise on Neil Warnock for getting the best out of the team that he's got available to him. Obviously, they've been disrupted a bit this week with not being, not having enough players to, to train at times, but Isaiah Jones is one player I want to point out who's been fantastic over the last two games and even better here I think uh, Zach Vine is going to have nightmares because he was on fire he was on fire against uh, against Bristol City yeah he's exactly the same lad that I highlighted as well as someone who really stood out for me I, I thought he was uh, good in the game against Fulham mm. um, last week this game he was just absolutely fantastic and we were just hearing from Johnny he's pretty much just come out of nowhere yeah. and he's looking an unbelievable player but it's so Warnock, isn't it? I mean, we said every time when we talk about Middlesbrough, but whenever he gets the best out of just a young lad, um, he's just so typical Neil Warnock. And yeah, Isaiah Jones looks a real talent as well. Uh, big Ushi, Ikpiatsu, goal and an assist for him. Looking like an absolute tank up front for the Borough. And uh, Sol Bamba came on in the 94th minute as well, which is uh, nice to see. Uh Bristol City, the two old Leicester boys uniting for the goal. <laughs> Matty James crossing into Andy King. That was nice to see, but the performance, not nice to see really, because Bristol City were easily second best here, weren't they? Yeah, they were. I think the only positive you can take out of it is they, they did create a few chances to get into the game, but probably not enough. It wasn't a good enough away performance against 
a Borough side who are going to be very strong at home. They have to do better. They were too easy to um, create chances against. Borough found too many avenues for them. And as we pointed out, Isaiah Jones, I think he completed seven dribbles on the left-hand side, which is just too high a number for a young player. Um, and I guess having Zach Viner on that side showed his inexperience at times. But yeah, they, they they have to improve. Um, they really do. They've got. They, I feel like they've got levels to go yet. Um, they haven't quite got going, but certainly away performance-wise, not good enough. Well, I've seen some Bristol City fans calling for Nigel Pearson's head, and I know we're, we're only two games into the season, guys. Mm. Just <laughs> chill out a bit. But I mean, we saw how Pearson did in the second half of last season, and it wasn't much better than what we saw under Dean Holden. Of course, he had an injury crisis to deal with, but I made the point at the time saying Nigel Pearson hasn't done a very good job here and he's getting a lot of credit for not doing a very good job. And now they haven't started well this season when they haven't got an injury crisis. It is just two games, but would you be worried about Nigel Pearson's job security if this continues, Justin? I don't think there are many managers out there that are readily available who could do a good a job as him uh, at the time... Bristol City are at at the minute, mainly because they've, they're have they in a bit of a transition. I think Nigel Pearson is the best manager to manage that transition. He's done it before. Um, he did it with Leicester City very well. Um, he did it with Hull, um, although he was only there for a season. But I think he got the, he put the foundations in place for a promotion charge from Steve Bruce, basically. Um, so I think he, he, as an individual, he knows exactly what needs to be done to get things right and they will eventually get there. I just think a little bit more patience is needed. They're not going to challenge for the playoffs. Maybe mid-table. Lower mid-table will be a good uh, finish for Bristol City because of how poor they were last season. Mm. I'm not sure. I think we'll have to reserve judgment for now, but I'm really not convinced that Nigel Pearson is the right man to lead Bristol City out into uh, a transition, which is obviously what they're going through now. But we'll... Reserve judgment for now. Just in less of a break, after that, we'll talk about wins for West Brom, Peterborough, and Barnsley. Welcome back to the Second Tier Podcast. There was a really fun game at the Hawthorns between West Brom and Luton. The Baggies 3-0 up, seemingly cruising, but then conceded two calamitous goals late on. A bit too late, unfortunately, for Luton. For 70 minutes, though, the Albion looking a very classy side, Justin. They were. I, th- I think they showed that they were a level bu- level above Luton um, for, as you say, the, the 60, 70 minutes that they were. You could see the difference in quality. Um but I think the disappointing thing for West Brom and for Ishmael is they allowed Luton back into the game. I think Matt Clark going off was a big, big difference in that. And I think um, I think it will it will improve. But certainly a few alarm bells for for Ishmael conceding four goals in the opening two games of the season. Mm. Well, those two goals were just, as I say, calamitous. And you, I suppose you kind of expect that when you have got Valerian Ishmael and his players trying to play a different style where they're playing out from the back a bit more. So these things will happen, but it's it made for uncomfortable viewing from a West Brom perspective in the final uh, few minutes of that oh, yeah. game. Uh, but Nathan Jones admitted that they were beaten by a very good side. And 3-2, he'll probably look back at that and say, not many teams are going to come away from the Hawthorns with any points this season. So 
can't be too disappointed, really. I am staggered at how good West Brom are at set pieces. <laughs> Every time a yeah. long throw goes in or a corner, they look... They, the, the opposition defence just don't know what to do. We saw that against Bournemouth last week and Luton here, they were struggling at it as well. Yeah, which is a bit of a surprise, but I mean, you've got to bear in mind that Luton had a makeshift defence um, on their hands, so I'm not surprised in that sense that they were struggling to cope, but it is scary, isn't it, how how good they are and how effective they are at throw-ins and corners and free kicks. It is it's crazy. I know we I know we praised Cardiff a lot last season um, because of how good they were from set pieces, but yeah, I think uh, I think they might have met the match here. That 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 game against um, Cardiff that will be coming up at some point in the season is going to be a clash of set piece ties. Let me tell you, <laughs> just constantly set just pieces, long throws. long throws, all game. I'm a big fan of that. Uh, but when you've got the likes of O'Shea, Bartley, Clark, we, we all know Clark will head bricks if he's asked to. Mm. Um, Furlong as well, he can score from set pieces, and then you've got Mowat, Wang in the min. It's it's threatening. It's scary to see from an opposition perspective. And we saw that here. A brilliant header by Cal Naismith for the opening goal. Fortunately at the wrong end of the pitch, but still class nonetheless. But yeah, West Brom looking good value uh, for 70 minutes anyway. Uh, a 99th minute winner saw Peterborough beat Derby 2-1. I will say for 75 minutes, one of the worst games I've ever seen. We had Manu leads on the other telly and I was set through watching this but yeah um for the remaining bit after that 75 minutes this was great entertainment justin it wasn't uh it wasn't a bad end to the game obviously very disappointed from a from a derby perspective uh watching it riddled with uh covid just wasn't too much fun um but yeah as you say it's a really disappointing defeat for derby peterborough i thought they were not not a smash and grab but i thought derby were in control of the game for 75 to 90 minutes and then Peter Bridges turned it on but that's what Fresh Legs does to you in a depleted Derby squad you can see they were knackered just a shame they couldn't see out really frustrating that they couldn't see out well Darren Ferguson was delighted with the late winner Siriki Dembele scored it the scenes the limbs in the uh, Peterborough end <laughs> when that goal went in were just fantastic this is what we've been missing for a good year and a half we've had we've had last minute winners last season but it's just not as good when you have yeah when you don't have fans you know that roar when it goes in Um, and I particularly loved Siriki Dembele failing to take off his shirt um, after scoring the goal he was really struggling with it Um, have a look for that if you haven't seen it already Um, but Derby obviously not a great result and things are even worse because it looks like they're heading into the midweek games with no senior striker because Colin Kazan Richards went off injured and it looks like a serious one unfortunately for him so we wish him the best but from a playing perspective, it's not ideal, Justin, because they've been saying the Derby starting eleven not actually that bad. But as the season goes on and injuries start happening, then things like this are going to happen, aren't they? And that's why we have Derby not expecting them to do much this season. Yeah, the, uh, we I mentioned a depleted squad. It's very much a depleted squad. Um, I think that's the reason why Peterborough got back into the game because they had fresh legs to bring on, whereas Derby couldn't make a defensive substitution. You know, every every team needs that thirty three year old centre half who's going to come on in the last ten minutes and head everything. Um, mm. Derby didn't have that. They brought on Kamil Yozwiak, and he was out 
fault for well he fell asleep for one of the goals essentially but as you say I mean I'm delighted for Jack Stratton to get his goal good that he didn't end up in a win for, for him um, but it's time to step up now he's he's he's, he's put in a situation because of the situation Mount Morris has put Derby um, but if he takes his chance they'll be delighted but Derby have got to I think first of all defend better before they even think about scoring goals because that collapse in the last 10 minutes of the game was just really poor from some senior players as well Curtis Davis Craig Versailles didn't cut themselves in glory no well they're going to have to bring in players aren't they and I think Rooney has hinted at that uh, that they desperately need to bring in um, some extra legs but as we all know with their situation it's a bit difficult doing that uh, there was late drama at Oakwell as Barnsley beat Coventry 1-0 but the Sky Blues missed a 93rd minute penalty and the scenes, Justin, the, the scenes in, first of all, the Coventry end when they were given the penalty and then the scenes when they missed and the utter, utter disappointment that you saw in the Coventry end was, it was great to see as a neutral, uh, but unbelievable scenes here. That's what football's all about, isn't it? The the last minute drama we saw it with Peterborough was fantastic, and then there are little minute uh, elements throughout the throughout the day. But then this, I think this was the last game as well, one of the last games to to, to end uh, to finish. Um, I know there's a big stoppage in the Millwall game, but just just keeping uh, up to tabs with this and on on Soccer Saturday was really really good fun. Um, and yeah, as you say, it's, it's utter disappointment for Coventry, delight for Barnsley and I think the worst thing for Coventry is they were probably the better team in, throughout the game and they didn't get anything for it which is a which is a shame for them and yeah a major frustration well Mark Robbins will yeah he'll be disappointed not to get a result because they obviously missed the penalty but Guillaume Perez also missed a really good chance in the first half as well Barnsley barely had a sniff so mm. for Coventry to come away from this game with absolutely nothing Mark Robbins will be absolutely gutted 10 players booked in this game <laughs> eight Barnsley players and they had five bookings in the space of seven minutes did you see Callum O'Hare get assaulted almost every other every he's other just getting scythed down <laughs> and exactly. I assume that's where all those bookings came from Barnsley <laughs> were just trying to do a job on him by removing his limbs um, but yeah ten bookings fair play to the referee there uh, Cardiff comfortable winners at Bloomfield Road they beat Blackpool 2-0 big key for more amongst the goals I don't think I've ever seen a more satisfying cross and header goal before in my life than that Kiefer Moore, Justin. It was, it was a thing of beauty. I've been wanting to talk about this cross from Ryan Giles. It was, it was brilliant, wasn't it? It was, it was fantastic, and the header was just so, so cushioned but looping. It was, mm. uh, yeah, it was uh, so aesthetically pleasing. It was, it was lovely. It was really good. Well, big Keith is obviously a big lad, but he just floated through the air like. Like a majestic butterfly. It was fantastic to see. Um, and then they had a superb chef's kiss all over that. Uh, but yeah, Cardiff looks really strong here. Probably should have won by more because I, I don't want to get carried away, Justin, because it is just two games into the season. But Blackpool do not look a great side. I know, obviously, they've come up from League One. Um, they've had to bring in players. A lot of them are League One uh, players from League One. But I haven't seen anything yet that convinces me they won't uh, that they'll be able to stay up this season. It was a harsh lesson for them against Cardiff. I thought they they were unfortunate, I guess, against Bristol City. Um, but yeah, the, this game was a, a very harsh lesson for them because Cardiff were were miles ahead. 
I think simply put, you have to defend better. Uh, they were just too easy to play against. The amount of chances they conceded from set piece, from set pieces and, and open play, you've, you've got no chance. Chris Maxwell was the busiest player on the pitch. He had six saves to make. Yeah. And when your keeper's making that many saves at home, doesn't fill you with too much confidence. But yeah, they, they do have to improve very quickly. I think that they've got the players to do it. They just have to find a way to to get the best out of them and defend a lot better. Um, I think the Keogh and James Husband partnership, although I praised it in pre-season, doesn't look too um, solid, shall we say, right well, now. You, you're quite quite right in the way that you say that Chris Maxwell has saved them here because they would have lost this by more had it not been for him. But I'm also majorly concerned about them going forwards because they got the goal last week against Bristol City in the last minute. Um but they didn't offer anything in the majority of that game. And they've offered pretty much nothing going forwards here. And that's what we were concerned about, Blackpool going forwards, because they didn't score a hatful of goals despite getting promoted last season. And they look blunt, simply put. Yeah. They look really blunt so far. And I've got full faith in Neil Critchley. If he's given uh, the resources to bring in new players, then he would be able to get this Blackpool side up. But at the moment, I just look at it and I just really worry where goals are going to come from. And Chris Maxwell may be walking off with player of the season because he's going to be bloody busy if if these first two performances are a sign of things to come for Blackpool. Uh, there are more parties in Santiago after Chilean superstar Ben Brereton Diaz, BBD, got on the score sheet again for Blackburn. They drew one all with Millwall. How it was one all, I have no idea because Blackburn offered next to nothing going forwards throughout this game. I think they had two shots. Um, but yeah, for Gary Rowett, he'll be absolutely gutted to have not got three points here, Justin. Yeah, especially with the, how they, they scored the first goal as well. It was a, really was a thing of beauty. The Ballard diagonal oh. to Malone, the cushioned cross from Malone and then the, the running... Very composed finish from Wallace was was lovely, but as you say, hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on. You are not giving that assist enough enough credit there. Yeah, that is one of the best crosses you'll see this season. It was perfect. It was literally perfect because it was in Jed Wallace's path. Jed Wallace didn't have to do too much. I was just trying to give everybody the same amount of credit because that's how I am. I'm very nice, balanced guy. Um, but from from Millwall's perspective. It's dropped points again. Um, they, they, sh- I mean, they got back into the game against QPR, but the the issue last season was they drew too many games, and you don't want that to be an issue early on in the season for this season. Because as we say, as we said before, they're a team that could finish in the playoffs. They have got the players to do it. They probably need one or two more, but can't be can't be dropping easy goals like that. It was a really, un- it was an unmarked header from Brereton, basically. Yep. And final game: Birmingham nil, Stoke nil. Absolutely abysmal. Right now, it's time for this. Yes, it's time for the news. And speaking of Birmingham, they've been having an absolute mare with their stadium this week. So St Andrews has been getting repairs. Well, obviously fans weren't in the ground and they're expecting them to be done by now, but they haven't. Uh, So two of their stands had to be closed this weekend and will also be closed for the Bournemouth game in midweek. So... What happens if you had a season ticket and you were in either of those stands? Well, the club decided to get around this by doing a ballot and randomly selecting who's going to those games. That went down like a turd in a lift and calls have once again, once again gone for the board to basically get out. Um, it's been a PR disaster and 
it's well we, we all know what uh, the Birmingham board and their relationship with the fans is like but this has not made things any better uh, transfer news Justin Arsenal are still reportedly in talks with Sheffield United over goalkeeper Aaron Ramsdale surprised that he's actually played for Sheffield United so far this season because quite often when you see like Sam Johnston for example mm. when you see um, players being linked with moves away they don't play but he's been playing so far hasn't he yeah, and he was quite important in the uh, the draw against Swansea. He made some, you know, really key uh, not interceptions but catches from crosses, and you know, he was quite commanding. So fair play to him for not being distracted. I did read that he was absolutely good that the bid was rejected um, from Arsenal. So we'll see how that plays out over the next week or so. But I'd be surprised if Sheffield United keep hold of him um, mm. if the bids are fairly high because I think at Championship level, especially. You can't really, you can't really reject those bids too often. No, it, I, I think he's almost certain to go. Quite frankly, because Arsenal being linked with him all season, they were after Sam Johnston, weren't they? But I think he's staying at West Brom now, which is a massive plus for them, by the way. Uh, and yeah, Ramsdale looks like he'll be the one that be going instead. Chelsea defender Jake Clark Salters joined Coventry on loan. He was at Birmingham last season. I looked at this move and thought, Christ, this must have been his. 20th loan move in the championship before realising it's only actually his second team that he's been on loan at and I was actually getting him mixed up with Cameron Mm. (laughs) Carter-Vickers because I'm convinced they are both the same player and they're both going to be on loan for the rest of their careers Uh, Reading have been loaned midfielder Tom Delibasheru from Watford Um, he didn't really play much last season for Watford did he so I'm not really sure what to expect of him going to Reading He had quite a few injury problems at Watford and um, I think Watford fans expected him to make more of an impact than he did. Uh, but obviously injuries got in the way of that. But that's Reading's gain. I think they've got a good player on loan and um, I expect to, I expect for him to, to have a, a relatively good season. Um, so hopefully he can make an impact quick because he's got some creative boots to fill. Well, he's highly rated at Watford. So he's one to keep an eye on, definitely. And finally, former Huddersfield and Ipswich midfielder Trevor Chalaber is now Chelsea's best player. Did not see that coming because mm. in his time in the Championship, he was fairly unremarkable, really, wasn't he? Well, he played for Ipswich, who got relegated, and he played for Huddersfield, who struggled. Um, but he was the standout yeah. player in both of those sides. Um, and he did have a good loan spell. Was it at St Etienne? Or, uh, he, he was, was in abroad, France. wasn't he? Yeah, he was in France last season and um, had a good loan spell. But it's really good to see players coming through at Chelsea. I, I don't know why. I don't expect it to happen, but when it does, you know, my heart fills with, with warmth. Well... I'm glad. I'm glad that he's doing well. But he was just one that I never expected to break into the Chelsea team because I just thought he was fairly unremarkable in his time in the Championship. Really, it was, it was a good player, solid Championship player, but not you know Chelsea standards. No disrespect to the guy. Obviously, he's uh, doing bits now anyway. So fair play to him. Uh, time for the polls, Justin. This is the part of the show where we ask our listeners three questions on Twitter because we want to hear what they think. Uh, so the first one was this: Which of these strikers would you pick for your club if you could sign one? Alexander Mitrovic, Kiefer Moore, Callum Robinson. Jed Wallace um, as always when we do these everyone starts going oh why, why didn't you include this person we're, we're just picking four random strikers guys give us a break um, out of those Justin who would you pick Rob Dickey 
Rob Dickey. Okay. Um, <laughs> I would probably go Big Keith because I love Big Keith. And oh, yeah. our listeners agree with me. 38% of people said Big Keith. 36% said Mitro. So quite close there. Callum Robinson got 15%. Uh, Jed Wallace got 11%. If you could sign one of these centre backs, who would you go for? Tosin Adarabayo, Rob Dickey, John Egan, Sean Morrison. Who are you saying, Justin? Rob Dickey? There we go. That one makes sense. Uh, yes, Rob Dickey won that one 48%. No surprise there, particularly. Tosin Adarabayo got 24%. John Egan, 17%. Sean Morrison, uh, 11%. And finally, which of these video game characters is the best? Crash, Mandico- Crash Bandicoot, Mario, Sonic the Hedgehog, or Spyro? Spyro. Really? Oh, I loved Spyro as a kid. I, yeah, Spyro's an underrated game as well. I, you know what? I might, I might actually purchase the uh, remastered versions and play them in my isolation. Well, you're self-isolating, so you ain't got much else. Exactly. <laughs> uh, Mario got forty-six percent. Crash Bandicoot got twenty-four percent. Sonic the Hedgehog nineteen percent. Spyro eleven percent. Sonic has been done a massive injustice there. So, Sonic the Hedgehog, the first two games. I've been playing it a lot recently, Justin, because you can download it on your phone now. I highly recommend it for anyone who, who used to play it. It, it is. It is. I, I've been playing it non-stop recently. It's crazy. But yeah, Sonic the Hedgehog, massive injustice. Justice for Sonic. Right, now it's time for this. Hi, Simon Grayson Edge. So this is Simon Grayson's Hateful Eight. Welcome back to the show. Matt Brocklaire from Fulham Focus Podcast and Tom Morgan from Total Swans TV. So I'm going to ask the boys here to name eight of a certain subject. And all they've got to do is work together to name all eight. So, for example, if I were to say name the last eight clubs to win League One and Matt would say Hull, that's one down. And Tom would say Coventry, that's another down. But if Justin would say Derby, then he'd be out. So what you need to do, chaps, is give me all eight answers without all of you being eliminated. So, I, I saw this week that Bournemouth flew to Nottingham. Flew to Nottingham. Outrageous. So, it got me looking at the distances of how far teams have to travel. And the question is, what is the nearest eight away days for Bournemouth in the Championship this season? It's all based on as the crow flies, by the way. So, don't start talking about how long it takes to travel down the M6 or something like that. <laughs> um, Matt, we'll go with you first. Can you give me a near away day for Bournemouth? Um, I live in Reading, so I'll say Reading. Reading, you're absolutely right. That's their second nearest away day at 64 miles. Uh, right, we'll go with you next. Tom, can you name me a near away day for Bournemouth? And it has to be in the Championship? Yes. Cardiff? Yeah, Cardiff, 77 miles. That's her third nearest away day. Justin? It's got to be a London-based team, hasn't it? So, QPR, West London? QPR, 87 (laughs) miles. That's their fourth nearest away day. So, that should knock off a few teams when you think London clubs. Matt? Fulham? Yes! Shock. Uh, 90 miles, that is, uh, for a Bournemouth away day. You've got four so far. You're halfway through. Tom, back to you. Uh, I'm going to go for an easier one then. Bristol City. Yep, that's their nearest away day at 60 miles. So you've got three left. Three left, Justin. What are you going for? 
How far away is uh, Swansea from Cardiff, Tom? About 40, about le- just less than 50 miles. Ooh. Um, mm. Peterborough, then. I'll go Peterborough. Peterborough's incorrect. Oh, okay. No, Peterborough is uh, up in Cambridgeshire. Oh, no. There's a one closer than that. <laughs> one outside London. Um, so Justin's out. You've got three left, and there's two of you still in. Matt, back to you. Millwall. Yeah, absolutely. Millwall, 93 <laughs> miles. Uh, so you've got two left. Tom, it's you. I'll go Swansea. Swansea's correct. Oh, 109 miles. Swansea <laughs> is the eighth nearest away day. So you've got one left. Surely you're going to get this, man. Is it Luton? It is Luton. Yes. 102 <laughs> miles. Absolutely right. Well done, Matt. Your first go at Simon Grayson's hateful eight, and you've smashed it out of the park. How do you feel? Amazing. Is it the best, best, moment, best moment of my life? There we go. <laughs> so, <laughs> well done, all. You've done yourselves proud, and Simon Grayson has been defeated for the first time this season. What a result for everyone involved. So this has been the Second Tier Podcast. We'll be back again on Thursday because, of course, we've got midweek games to go through. So me and Justin will be there, ready and willing to give you our feedback on all those games. But thank you to our guests this week, Matt Brocklair from the Fulham Focus Podcast. Thank you for your time. Thanks for having me. Tom Morgan from Total Swans TV. Thank you for your time. Thank you very much, guys. Pleasure as always. No problem, my man. This has been the Second Tier Podcast. We'll be back again on Thursday. I've been Ryan Dilks. I've been Justin Peach. Thank you for listening. 